Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our morning service, Sunday 1st of March 2020. This morning we are joined by Pastor Clifford Morrison, who takes his reading from 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 17 to 21 and brings us a message entitled, Time to Get at the Fence. I could invite you to open your Bible at 1 Kings chapter 18 as we continue to journey with Elijah, the prophet of God. And if you want a title this morning, my title is simply this. It's time to get off the fence. It's time to get off the fence. Elijah chapter 18, verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal... Then follow him. And we thank God for his word. You will know that it's a very common thing today for prominent statesmen to meet together in order to discuss national affairs. Sometimes their discussions revolve around politics or economics or some other pressing problem. On occasions, problems are discussed which relate to the welfare of the people that they represent or even the destiny of their nation. When Ahab and Elijah met face to face for the first time, for over three years the destiny of Israel was the center of their discussion. Israel had for a long time been suffering from the blight of famine. Uh, The king blamed Elijah for the trouble, but the prophet would not accept any of the responsibility. Elijah is not intimidated, but boldly counters Ahab's false accusation. And he firmly takes this king head on. He tells the king, you are a troublemaker king. Ahab was the troublemaker And if you want to put it like this, Elijah was the troubleshooter. And we discover that the prophet continues to explain why and how Ahab has troubled Israel. And rather than get involved in useless discussion, he called Israel together to Mount Carmel. So let's let's come there this morning for a few moments and unravel the implications of what we read here from 1 Kings chapter 18. Notice first of all, 
what the prophet Elijah recognized. We see that in verse 21. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? You may have a translation that says, How long will you falter between two opinions? And as a result of this statement, we learn that Elijah was able to discern that the chosen people of God were not walking uprightly. They were tottering, for they were divided in their opinions. Sometimes on the side of the God of Israel, then at times they lurk, uh, uh, they lurk like a drunken man over on the side of the false gods. They were not fully decided what to do or which way they should go. They dreaded Jehovah, and therefore they would not totally abandon him. They decided, on the other hand, to curry favor with the king. And so they felt that they had to embrace the religion of the state. Their conscience forbade them to do the former, but their fear of man persuaded them to do the latter. And as a result, they found themselves in no man's land. And that's a very dangerous land to be in. Elijah here recognizes two things. He recognizes, first of all, that they were divided between two rulers. They were divided between two rulers. Israel was seeking to please God and Baal at the one and the same time. The people of God here were aware of the state of the land, and so they tried to accommodate themselves to both parties so as to please and secure the favor of both. But they fail to realize that God will not accept a divided heart. God will not accept a divided loyalty. There are many characteristics that we discover about the God of the Bible. And we discover that Jehovah is a jealous God who demands and deserves the whole affections of his children, and he will accept a divided empire with the bales of this world. You must be for him or against him. It is as clear-cut as that. You must decide between Jehovah and Baal, between what is false and what is true, between superstition and revelation, between the tyranny of ignorance and fear and the freedom of light and truth. The challenge was coming again to the people of God as it had come in the past through God's servant Joshua. Do you remember what he said to his people in the promised land? Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That choice may involve standing up against a godless world. When Martin Luther was told that the whole world was against him, he replied, well, if that's the case, I'm in good company. What he recognized, they were divided between two rulers. Secondly, they were divided between two religions. Not only was Israel seeking to please God and Baal at one and the same time, but they were also trying to worship both at the same time. They had 
some knowledge, but Jezebel, with her host of false prophets, had unsettled their minds. And the example of the king had misled them, and his influence had corrupted them. Their worship of Baal was popular, and of course his prophets were honored in that land. But the worship of God was discounted, and his prophets were slain. And this caused the people in general to conceal any regard they had for the Lord. And induced them in the idolatrous worship of Baal in order to escape ill will and persecution. And consequently, they were limping. They were limping between two religions, between what was true and what was false. There was no evenness in their walk. There was no steadiness in their principle. There was no consistency in their worship. On the one hand, they claimed that they feared the Lord. On the other hand, they served other gods. They were disregarding the word of the Lord, the law of God, the commands of the Lord, to worship the Lord their God with all their heart and to serve only Him. At this time in their history, God had no authority in their lives. One day it was Baal. The next day it was Jehovah. When the king of Sweden went over to Germany to help the Protestant princes in the cause of the Reformation, he was deeply tried by their lack of decision and lukewarmness. And one day on meeting the ambassador of the elector of Brandenburg, he uttered these stirring and memorable words. He said, This I say unto you plainly beforehand. I will hear and know nothing of neutrality. His Highness must be friend or foe. When I came to his border, he must, when I come to his border, he must declare himself hot or cold. The battle is between God and the devil. Will his Highness hold with God? If that is the case, let him stand at my side. Will he prefer to hold with the devil? If that is the case, then he must fight against me. No third place will be granted to him. I tell my grandsons of some of my boyhood experiences with their great granddad. And I can remember going to Windsor Park to watch Ireland, Northern Ireland, playing England. A time when 35,000 people would have crowded into that stadium. When people fainted, they just lifted them up and they just passed them right down to the track that was around the ground where the St. John's ambulance people were there to receive them over the track. But I can remember as a boy going to the stadium and there was a man with a, 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 a strap around his neck and just a, a box in front of him. One side of the box he was selling apples and on the other side of the box, he was selling rosettes. And he had some English colors and he had some Northern Ireland colors. And I can remember his war cry, Wear your colors! Wear your colors! Wear your colors! And that's what Elijah was saying to the people of God. 
Wear your colors. Remember whose you are and whom you serve. What he recognized. How long would you limp from one side to the other? He recognized that there was an unhealthy division. They were divided between two rulers and they were divided between two religions. Notice secondly what he requested. What he requested. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Elijah hadn't read the letter of James. But he emphasizes a truth that is highlighted by James. And the truth is this, that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. James teaches us, and Elijah illustrates this, that such a person accomplishes little or nothing. A person who cannot make up his mind one way or the other. And what is true in temporal things is equally true in spiritual things. That the wavering and the lukewarm cannot succeed. In spiritual things, in our Christian walk, in our Christian witness, no, pro- no progress can be made, no testimony can be given so long as the mind is not clear and the will emphatic. A limpy man, a man who doesn't know where he stands in relation to God and his relationship to Jesus Christ, is a useless man. He's worse than useless. He's often a stumbling block to others. One day he's for the Lord, and the next day he's not so sure. One day he's unashamed of the gospel. The next day he's embarrassed by the gospel. Elijah knew this. and that's, This is why he called the people to a place of decision. He realized, indeed he was convinced, that if people would just be willing to decide that God would show them who was true and who was false. Notice in these words that we are thinking about this morning, Elijah calls them to a definite decision. It had to be a decision between God and Baal. A decision to follow the one or the other. The choice was a solemn one because they they had to choose between that which was true and that which was false. And it it has to be borne in mind that Jehovah was the name by which the God of the Israelites had always been distinguished since their coming out of Egypt. The name Jehovah signifies the self-existent one. The name Jehovah reminds us of a God who is omnipotent, A God who is immutable, that is, unchanging. A God who is self-existent, omnipotent, immutable, and eternal in His being. The only one, the only true God, and beside Him there is no other. How big is your God this morning? How great is your God? You see, in our world today, because of unbelief, because of sin... Humanity is seeking to conform God to His image. Whereas the Bible teaches the very opposite. We are to be conformed to the Eternal's image. On the other hand, Baal was the work of man's 
fallen imagination. Baal represented a multiplicity of gods. Baal represented what we might call in educational circles multiple choice. As the sun god, he was supposed to give man the freedom to do anything he liked under the sun. You see, he was a god of convenience. He was a god of compromise. He was a god of corruption. As one preacher put it, Baal was the deified perfection, a projection of the self-life. And Baal hasn't gone away. He's still with us. And the potential of his evil lurks in my heart this morning and in every fallen heart belonging to Adam's reign. He is the God who reigns where God is dethroned and self is enthroned. And Elijah is saying to the people here, how long are you going to limp backward and forward like a lame man who cannot decide on which foot to settle? No longer can you sit on the fence. Jesus says you're either for me or you're against me. We're either committed to serve him or not. God is a jealous God. And he will not share his glory with another. It's the time to get off the fence. Listen to what God said to his people in Deuteronomy. And now Israel, that's the people of God. That is his covenant blood-bought people. That is the people whom he redeemed out of Egypt and identified as his very own. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord your God. To walk in all His ways and to love Him and serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And to keep the commandments of the Lord and His statutes which I command you this day. Seems to be very straightforward, doesn't it? Israel had forgotten the word of the Lord. We sometimes sing, Here I am, wholly available. As for me, I will serve the Lord. This request was a call to a definite decision. But Elijah not only called them to a definite decision, he also called them to a decisive decision. Elijah knew that the decision which had to be made that day on Mount Carmel would have far-reaching consequences both for the lives of the people and the land in which they lived. If they chose to follow God, the Lord's blessing would accompany them. On the other hand, if they chose to follow Baal, then they had to live with that and the outcome of such a decision does not bear thinking upon they had reached the watershed, the crossroads in their experience. And what they decided to do would influence their whole future. That call had come before through God's servant Moses. Moses stood at the gate of the camp. And he said this to the people of God, who is on the Lord's side? 
who is on the Lord's side, let him come unto me. The scripture tells us that all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. Whose side are you on? Are you wearing the colors this morning? What he recognized, what he requested, what he received. Listen to what we read in verse 21. And the people did not answer him a word. And the people did not answer him a word. All the prophet received was silence. The whole of Israel seemed to have been stunned that such alternatives should be put before them for their choice. They were honest enough to acknowledge their own folly. Or maybe they weren't. They weren't weren't bold enough to say that they had acted in compliance with the king's command. Following a multitude to do evil. They didn't say anything. But I think their silence was very eloquent. Uh, For their silence indicated to me certain things. It indicated that they were convicted. That they were convicted. Every man in Israel knew in his heart that day that Elijah had spoken the truth. And their silence was a guilty silence because their sin had found them out. Their hypocrisy and their double-mindedness had been revealed. At least their silence showed that they did have a conscience. Something that seems to be missing in today's world as we witness all the horrible and heinous sins that are being committed. At times we may be convicted, but do we do anything about it? Does it lead me to a penitent confession of my sin before the throne of God to seek His Holy Face for forgiveness, which we need? Or am I like the publican who thought of himself more highly than he ought? And he prayed thus to himself, I thank my God that I'm not as other men I not even as this publican. You know, part of that prayer might have been true. He was not like that publican. His sin wasn't as great as the publican's sin, but he didn't realize that all sin was sin, irrespective of what characteristic it might form. The publican never even lifted his head toward heaven, swore his breast. There are many sinners around me. There are many sinners in this place. But notice what he said. God, be merciful to me. To me. For I'm a sinner. They were convicted. They were confused, I think. Up until they were challenged by Elijah, Israel were doing what they liked. As it suited them, they tottered between God and Baal. No one had ever come to them before and dared to disturb their lethargy and carelessness with regard to holy things. And when the prophets spoke, they were confused. They didn't know what to do or how to answer the charge laid against them. They were confused because they were neither cold nor hot. They were lukewarm in their attitude to God. And can't you and I fall into such a condition? You know, in the Christian life, there are three spiritual temperatures. There's a burning heart, a heart on fire for the Lord. 
We read about that in Luke chapter 24, the two that walked the road to Emmaus. Did not our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the way? There's a cold heart. In Matthew 24, Jesus says, Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Two signs to indicate the coming again of the Lord. Lawlessness in the world and coldness in the church. But not only a burning heart, not only a cold heart, there is a lukewarm heart. We read about that in in Revelation 3. The lukewarm Christian, comfortable, complacent, doesn't realize his or her need. The church at Ephesus had everything. The holiday church. You might have come home and said, Clifford, we were in Ephesus last Sunday. Right? We went to the Ephesus First Baptist Church. Tremendous. Wow, their, their, their PA equipment was superb. And there were screens everywhere. They had a great, great system of welcoming people. Their seats were comfortable. And the pastor, he was good looking. And his preaching was tremendous. Great church. I'll tell you one thing. I know where I would go. Uh, I lived in Ephesus. And the verdict of heaven was this. You have left your first love. Did you ever try to drink lukewarm water? It has a sickening effect. And what God from heaven through His Son by His Spirit was said in Revelation, when I think of you, I feel like being sick. You're lukewarm. You're neither cold nor hot. And it was as the two traveled the road to Emmaus, when they listened to the Word of God, that their hearts burned within them. The Laodicean church was independent, self-sufficient. And so far as they were concerned, they had need of nothing. And the Lord said, you have need of everything. Because you're neither for me, nor are you against me. But you're lukewarm. They were convicted, they were confused, they were confounded. The challenge of the prophet was so dead on the mark that Israel was left without a word to say. Words failed them where they had been shamed into silence. They were guilty and they knew it. And the rest of the chapter tells us that they were prepared to do something about their spiritual state. And so often that's where you and I can miss out. The atmosphere of a morning worship service, we hear God speak. We sense His presence. Our spirits testify to the truth of His Word. But as we move on in our travels, we lose the sound of the impact of God's Word in our lives. And as a result, we miss out. And we continue to go on our way. Hearers of the Word not doers. God's Word is of no lasting value or blessing to us because we do not bow to its authority. When the rugged, fiery prophet Elijah challenged the people of God at this time, he was exposing a fundamental problem and a crushing need. 
the problem of indecision and the need to give the Lord, Jehovah, the true God, his rightful place. What he recognized, what he requested, what he received. I remember as a young Bible college student many years ago now, at a student's graduation, some young men singing these words. I think I was part of the group that sang it. Above thine own ambitions here, the voice of God is sounding clear. It is the call of God to thee. Go leave thine all and follow me. Go through with God, thy vows to pay, thy life upon the altar lay. The Holy Ghost will do the rest and give to thee God's very best. Here's a rhetorical question. Are you enjoying the Lord this morning? Are you enjoying his salvation? Couldn't be that the reason why you're not enjoying it is that you're limping between two opinions. Let the Lord be God. Follow him. But if be then follow him. Father, forgive us for indecisiveness. Forgive us, Lord, for not seeking to honor you in our obedience, in our walk, in our talk. And help us this morning to not just listen to your word and in a sense agree with it, Help us to appropriate it to all our hearts and live it out in our daily lives. For Jesus' sake. Amen.